on the Spielman and Hooley We Tackle Life podcast. Now, I think I have the right hotkey for this audio. If not, I'll apologize and find it. But here is, I believe, what Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt had to say after Ohio State called the second time out with 38 seconds remaining. Nah, that's Kevin Harlan. All right, I apologize. That's Kevin Harlan on Lamar Jackson, which you can... MVP Lamar Jackson? No. Yes? Yeah. Okay, well, you, you're going to join the legion of people who are going to have to retract <laughs> all these stupid Lamar Jackson MVP things when he turns out to be Robert Griffin III, the second. If, but he still can be the MVP. He, he Russell Wilson won the MVP Monday night. All right, let me try again here on Joel Klatt and Gus Johnson. He's getting you all flustered right now. Yes, he's getting me all flustered, as he always does, Mr. Chris Spielman. And uh, I'm Bruce Hooley. Welcome to a Friday edition of the Spielman Hooley We Tackle Life podcast. Wow, whatever will we talk about today? Uh, unfortunately, folks, that will be the only uh, words you hear from Mr. Spielman today. Uh, and I'm disappointed because, man, um, if there's ever a day where I'd love to hear his perspective, it is today. But uh, this is the uh, unfortunate confluence of Chris's job with Fox and the NFL schedule putting the Browns against the Steelers on a Thursday night, uh, is that he had to travel to Tampa uh, yesterday afternoon, uh, well, late afternoon. And so we don't have access to him this morning as Fox, you know, they get into Tampa and they got a game to do Sunday and they're in meetings all day. And so he sends his regrets and I send my regrets as well, but uh, we'll persevere through. It's not like um, we don't have plenty to talk about without Chris. And it's not like uh, there's not um, interest on your part in what transpired last night. And, you know, it's honestly, I was sitting there uh, during the late stages of the Browns 21 to seven victory over the Steelers. And I didn't feel like it was an extremely impressive Browns win. I thought it was a workmanlike Browns win. They did um, some really good things early in the game and they, you know, dominated a team that progressively throughout the night was without any hope of beating them because Juju Smith-Schuster went out and uh, James Conner went out and they couldn't protect Mason Rudolph and they couldn't run the ball. And I mean, I just thought, and when it got to be 14-7, to I thought, look, I've sat through and can enumerate every Browns inexplicable how in the world did we lose that one defeat for, (laughs) you know, two decades. And even I didn't think they could possibly fritter that one away. And they didn't. They scored a touchdown. Uh, late five minutes to go and they're up 21 to 7 and before we get into what transpired after that uh, let's give a little credit here to uh, Baker Mayfield and to Steven Carlson for Steven Carlson's first NFL catch which was a pretty spectacular catch it is our flashes of fun picture perfect play of the day on third and goal Mayfield into the end zone and for the touchdown, Carlson! How about his first catch of the year? That was a beauty. The rookie from Princeton gets his first catch and his first points. <laughs> that was... That was not what I had in mind when I said be safe with the football. You got him running around back there, and it looked like, you know, had Mark Barron had turned around and, and knew the ball was coming, he, he could have made a play on it. But what a catch. You're right. Concentration by. Yeah, I mean, that was very true. And, uh, you know, that, there were, but that's the NFL. Uh, that is your flashes of fun picture perfect play of the day flashes of fun will take your pictures and they'll be perfect oh well you know i thought perfection but they're close the price is perfect i know that because boy you'll save i say hundreds because when i say thousands you think i won't believe you but if you uh check the bill for senior pictures from a studio photographer or all the other studio photographers it's in the thousands and if you're a dad like me you're gonna get sticker shock not that your kids aren't worth it they are definitely worth it but i mean hey if you can get the same quality and more pictures for far less money? Why wouldn't you do that? And Flashes of Fun will work with you on a lot of things. you, know, you got Christmas coming up. Maybe you've uh, put off taking your family Christmas card picture. Now you can't get in somewhere. Well, Flashes of Fun will come and take it uh, wherever it's convenient for you. And uh, they'll get it back to you really quick. You'll save a ton of money, and you'll save more. If you're a Spielman & Hooley podcast listener, you'll save $50 off when you book online. Flashes O 
fun.com. Yeah, Aikman's uh, right. Mark Barron could have turned around. He could have intercepted that pass. Same thing on a pass to Kareem Hunt early in the game. But that's the NFL. you got to throw it into tight windows. Baker Mayfield threw it into tight windows. Now, I said that um, I didn't think the Browns could ever lose this game. When Baker Mayfield's dancing around and they're up 14-7 to and it's third and goal from the eight-yard line and he decides not to just throw it away or go down and let Austin Seibert come in and kick a field goal and put him up two scores, two scores, I was like, please tell me you're not going to throw an interception here. And I thought he might. And, you know, honestly, he could have. But he didn't. Okay, so that's that's the good. I've buried the lead for six minutes. Now let's get to it with Miles Garrett. Before the podcast ends, we'll get to Gene Smith and his um, Chase Young uh, comments. Uh, we'll get to the Buckeyes and Rutgers, which <laughs> it's not going to take very long to size that one up. We'll get to Buckeye Hoops. Hey, love my Buckeye Hoops. How about that on Wednesday night? And uh, we'll have a faith corner at the end. So that's yet to come. But Miles Garrett, oh, wow. Okay, so I'm sitting there. I, I honestly almost went to bed because it's late and, you know, game's in hand. And I thought, ah, stick around. Okay, so um, next to last play of the game, Mason Rudolph throws the ball. And, okay, um, I have been, I will say this, very surprised and very encouraged by how the Browns have handled this. Um, and actually, the reason I'm surprised is because Typically, and it's not just the Browns, typically teams, I'll even say schools, don't get it right in the moment on crisis management. How many times did Maryland meet to try to figure out the Jordan McNair situation, the player who unfortunately died in a practice, and then they brought DJ Durkin back. After months and months and months and months, they brought DJ Durkin back, and the backlash was such they were like, oh, sorry, yeah, we got to fire him a day later. Uh, Ohio State over the years has not been good. Crisis management, the urban thing, that ridiculous press conference and handing people the report when they walked in the room, the trestle tattoo stuff, they botched that. Pretty much I've always had a motto about colleges and crisis management, and it is I don't know what they're going to do, but whatever they do, they'll screw it up. The Browns did not screw this up on the crisis management side. They didn't. Uh, they owned it from the moment they got into uh, the post game in front of a podium. And I – I got to give them a ton of credit for that. I don't know if that's just a happy accident. I don't know if that's a, you know, Peter John Baptiste sat him down and they finally listening to him on something or he got clarity or Jimmy Haslam set the course. I don't know, but they handled it right because this is like tape don't lie. We all saw what Miles Garrett did. Uh, and I think the other thing before we get into the, you know, all the comments and my view of it, uh, what I would like to do is, this is such an egregious circumstance that I think it's in, I think it's instructive to listen to Troy Aikman and Joe Buck in the moment as they're replaying it. You know, it happens really quick live. Now, um, this rambles for a bit. There'll be some, you know, gaps in there, and I'll comment during the gaps. But I want you to listen, thought, particularly uh... when you're listening to this, I want you to listen for okay i'm diving around on my digital tape recorder here sorry i need an engineer is what i need uh you uh you'll hear their complete and utter amazement at how horrible what they're watching is as they watch it unfold as they're replaying this whole miles garrett mason rudolph thing That's where Buck sees the helmet swing. Oh, my goodness. And that's a genuine reaction right there. You know, who's, we've not seen that before. He hits him in the head with his helmet. He rips his helmet off. Rips the helmet off Rudolph's head and then eventually swings it and hits him in the head. The I think he's, his and tone. And Joby comes up and hits Rudolph from behind. He gets a lot of credit for narrating that in the moment and being righteously indignant and amazed at it. Beyond words, oh, Joe. Gosh, that's one of the worst things I've ever seen on a professional sports field. That you is know, a Joe, perfect I've been comment. Involved with these in the league office, and it would come to officiating first and then go upstairs for discipline. But this is beyond the normal discipline. This Mike Pereira hits it out of the park. I think you're absolutely right. It's a foul period to take a guy's helmet off and swing it and use it as a weapon. Automatic ejection by rule. 
but it goes beyond that now to uh, possible suspension. Of course, then Pouncey was a Pouncey that was kicking and throwing yeah. up the yep. well, That's another one. There, there will, there, there absolutely. I mean, this is multiple game suspension oh. right here. It's just, I mean, it's. I, I hate that anybody even has to watch this. This is, this is barbaric is what this is. That is well said. That is well said all the way around. Troy Aikman called it from the minute it happened. Multiple game suspension. We don't have the final dispensation on it, but it better be multiple game suspension. If it's not, the NFL is an embarrassment on how they could ever sell player safety. If it's not multiple game suspension, uh, I think Miles Garrett should get the rest of the season, however long the season is. I don't care if they play in the Super Bowl. He shouldn't play. You shouldn't play. You just can't do that. Okay, I don't think there'll be any uh, people who listen to this podcast who will take Miles Garrett's side in this. There are many people, many fans taking his side in this because of the Steelers' rivalry and because, look, uh, you all know I'm not breaking news here, fans short for fanatic, and we always tend to um, allow our guys to do things that we don't allow other guys to do. Case in point on the Chase Young thing. I didn't know there were so many anti-NCAA activists among the Ohio State fan base. But when Chase Young got two games for breaking a rule that every college player knows you can't do what he did, and Gene Smith said it's a violation, he was going to sit. We were never going to appeal that because he committed a violation. All the Ohio State fans are blaming it on the NCAA, which, breaking news, the NCAA is Ohio State. It is Michigan. It is USC. It is Tennessee. You know, so uh, it's not the NCAA just does what the schools tell them to do. But everybody comes out for Chase Young. If that were K.J. Hamler, and we found out today that K.J. Hamler, the Penn State uh, wide receiver, got a loan, I don't, I don't think that the Ohio State fan base would marshal its indignation behind K.J. Hamler and say, no, no, get him out there against Ohio State. We want to see him because we always take our guy's side, okay? So there will be Browns fans who will take Miles Garrett's side. But the reason I say it won't be people who listen to this podcast is because if you listen to this podcast, you know what's coming at the end. You know what Chris and my heart are. You know our mission for doing this podcast is, of course, to engage on a sports level because we love sports and we know you do too. And we're very humbled and appreciative of the fact that you enjoy listening to us talk about sports. But you also know that Chris and I are strong believers in Jesus Christ or endeavor to be strong believers in Jesus Christ. And that that that, that compels us to have a little bit different attitude toward everything in our life than the normal human view. So, you know, we've got to admit our faults, right? I mean, you don't accept Jesus as your Savior if you don't know you have faults because why would you need him if you don't admit you have faults and have a sin nature? So I don't expect a lot of people on our podcast, I mean, you're certainly free to email the show and tell us why you think Miles Garrett was you know, justified in what he did, SpielmanHooleyPodcast at gmail.com, but I don't think we're going to get any emails like that. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. But this is just unprecedented in its severity in this age of the NFL. And there have been guys who've swung their helmet before. Antonio Smith, I think, got a three-game suspension for swinging his helmet and hitting Richie Incognito, which, by the way, if I gave you those two combatants, wouldn't you have Richie Incognito being the helmet swinger? No, he was the he was the recipient of the uh, swinging helmet. Uh, Albert Hainsworth, a decade ago, got a five-game suspension for stomping on the face of Andre Girard. And then this year, you know, there's precedent for a season-long suspension, Vontez Burfecht. And if you're saying, wait a minute, Bruce, you can't put Miles Garrett in the Vontez Burfecht camp, Really? I'm, I'm not saying he's as frequent an offender as Vontez Perfect and as um, an, an offender like Vontez Perfect in the same way, but I will say Vontez Perfect, at least when he endangers other players, he, en- he endangers himself too because he's hitting them with his own head. Um, so, you know, Garrett... Let's just go right from the beginning, because if you're in the, well, you know, Mason Rudolph tried to rip his helmet off. No, he didn't. He had his hand on Miles Garrett's face mask. To me, it looked like he's pushing, trying to get him off of him. uh, Mason Rudolph kicked Miles Garrett in the groin. Yep. Yep, he did. I don't think... Kick, to me, is like you get to draw your foot back and let her go, and it looked to me like he put his foot on Miles Garrett's groin and pushed, trying to get Miles Garrett off. But I'd say he kicked him in the groin. Okay, I'd say... 
haul off and kicked him in the groin. Most of your guys ever been kicked in the groin? I hope you can say no. Probably most of you can say yes. When you get kicked in the groin and it connects, are you able to just stand right up and grab somebody's helmet and rip it off their head and swing it at them and engage in a fight? Uh, Not me. Not me. On the few and painful times I've been kicked in the groin, if it connects, down goes Frazier, right? Down goes Frazier. <laughs> you don't have the energy. So don't equate whatever Miles, whatever Mason Rudolph did with causing Miles Garrett to do what he did. I thought one of the best tweets that I have seen comes from a guy who sometimes hits, sometimes misses on Twitter. He's... Um, a gentleman by the name of Benjamin Albright. Uh, Benjamin Albright is, I believe, based in the Denver area. And uh, he's the guy who reports a fair amount of NFL news. Um, he goes at you on Twitter at times. And, you know, I'm sure there are some of you who are really dialed in on the Twitter side, on the uh, NFL side, you may say, ah, Benjamin Albright's a troll. There are times he is, but there are times he gives good information. This was one of his good information tweets. And it to me, I'm 100% on this. His tweet is, it doesn't matter who did what first. Several players wound up doing the wrong thing. Wrong is wrong. It doesn't suddenly become right because someone else did wrong too. Uh, bully for you, Benjamin Albright. That's, that's absolutely right. What do we want our kids to do? Walk away, right? Walk away. Don't hit send. How many expressions of wisdom are there in our world take a deep breath collect your thoughts you know that's that's truth right there that is truth right there you know so um really bad on uh, miles garrett's part but let's get to the good because life becomes and your legacy becomes what you do with bad circumstances um I was really impressed, really impressed with Baker Mayfield. You know, leader, team leader. Miles Garrett, leader of the defense like Baker Mayfield's the leader of the offense. No, Both number one overall picks. Baker Mayfield on the field with Aaron Andrews after the game. I don't think there was time for a conference with Baker Mayfield to say, Baker, say this. So I think it comes from the heart. And if this comes from the heart, it's a really good thing because it tells me that Baker Mayfield gets Maybe more than I thought uh, he gets. Uh, Miles can gain his respect back um, by handling like a man. How uh, any of us in this organization would do it. Um, you know, being apologetic, owning up to it, uh, learning from it. Uh, this is a, a physical, violent game that if uh, there's moments, if you don't keep your cool, um, bad things can happen. And he knows that. I said it on the field after, it's inexcusable. He knows that. Uh, there, there's no other way around it. He's going to own up to it. He's going to handle it. Uh, and this locker room is going to have to come together because this is going to be a soap opera on the outside, much like the media has, has portrayed us to be uh, from the whole season. So uh, we have to be a disciplined team. We have to address it. We have to handle it. We have to come together, and we have to play football. That's our job. Let's play yeah, uh, I screwed up. That is uh, Baker Mayfield at postgame, his opening comment. He, on the field with Aaron Andrews, he did say right away, it's inexcusable. So, told you I needed an engineer. A lot of <laughs> a lot of balls to keep in the air here when, uh, when Spiels is gone. But you get it. That was Baker's comments after the game on the field and in the podium. He didn't come in. He didn't mince words. I thought that was great. Now, uh, the narrative after the game, during the whole hullabaloo and after the game too, and this is fair. This is fair. That the Miles Garrett helmet swing is indicative of the Browns' complete and total lack of discipline. That's fair. And I got to applaud, A, the reporters for saying that and asking it in the postgame to Freddie Kitchens. And I have to applaud Freddie Kitchens for not internalizing fair criticism or fair questions. Sometimes out of the worst circumstances in our life, the seeds of something good and a change in course, a necessary change in course happens. And I'm hopeful, I'm not predicting, but I'm hopeful this is that. Because look, 
we all on the Browns fan side have been frustrated, angry, mystified by the nonsense. What do I frequently say about the Cleveland Browns? They spend way too much time on things that have nothing to do with winning. Colored helmet shields and fancy cleats and watches and dumb feuds with the media and punching down and all this and that and the other. And winning in the NFL is hard. And if you don't devote yourself to 100% effort toward winning, you probably are not going to win very often. Hence their 3-6 and six record going into last night's game with talent that's vastly superior to the Pittsburgh Steelers who came into that game with five wins. And as you watch those two teams, I defy any of you to tell me how in the world the Pittsburgh Steelers without Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown, and Ben Roethlisberger have five wins and the Browns with Miles Garrett, Olivier Vernon, Denzel Ward, Baker Mayfield, Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, Nick Chubb had three wins. I defy anybody to explain that to me other than Coaching and lack of discipline, and those two things are related. So the Browns have had a long history this season of their lack of discipline showing up. Penalties, 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 all the off-field drama. Jermaine Whitehead, death threats to reporters because they didn't. he didn't like the fact that they gave a fair assessment of his pathetic tackling against the Denver Broncos. Antonio Callaway, which... Hallelujah, Antonio Callaway is now a free man. You can go pursue some other NFL franchise to waste their time with your nonsensical waste of your own talent that you've been given, Antonio Callaway. As the Browns finally released you, which they should have done a year ago. So all this off-field nutso stuff. But as I said, sometimes something happens that is so beyond the pale that it hasn't, that it grabs you by the lapels in a way that the other stuff hasn't. And I'm hopeful this is that with Miles Garrett because of the way his teammates received it. Odell Beckham condemned it. Jarvis Landry condemned it. Baker Mayfield condemned it. And folks, as I listen to Freddie Kitchens in the postgame, I really believe it's Freddie Kitchens' finest hour as the Browns head coach. I really do. Because... From his opening statement forward, he never made excuses. He set a tone that I think will give him some credibility uh, on establishing discipline they have heretofore not displayed. Now, it's going to take effort because there's, you know, we all are tempted to fall back into our old habits right away. We can say, yeah, I'm going to change. And then, you know, I don't know. I'm in the moment and I'm not going to change. But I think what Freddie Kitchens has right now in, is a football team that is. Not happy that a landmark achievement on their part, beating the Baltimore Ravens and the Pittsburgh Steelers in the same season for the first time since the new Browns came back into being, has been completely overshadowed and largely made irrelevant everywhere but in the standings by what happened in the last, with eight seconds left on the clock. And so hopefully his players are now willing to say, you know what, man, this is where we go when we don't like rein ourselves in and 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 practice self-discipline. And Freddie Kitchens can say to himself, I got to get a hold of my team because this nonsense, whatever culture I've built here has contributed to what I saw out there on the field and I'm embarrassed by it. So we're not going to have that. So I'm hoping this is a jumping off point, a turnaround, a U-turn for the Browns from a discipline perspective. It won't get it perfect from here on out, but I just hope they're rededicated to it. But I was really impressed with Freddie Kitchens, who started his post-game press conference this way. Um, before we get started, of course, that's not um, who we want to be at the end of the game. That's not who Miles wants to be. That's not who we're going to be. Uh, you have to be able to maintain your composure uh, in times like that, and under no circumstance do we want anything to do with anything like that. Um, I'm embarrassed. Miles is embarrassed. Um, it's not good. So he understands what he what he did. He understands it's totally unacceptable, um, and we got to get through it. Any questions? That's well done. And he took a ton of questions. 
a ton of questions, and he did not push back. He there was you know one question that uh, was about you know your your culture systemic, and I think honestly I don't think Freddie knew what systemic meant, which it's not any. A lot of people don't know what that means. It means is it ingrown? Is it you know a, is it a festering like thing inside a virus? Uh, this lack of discipline in your culture. And once it was explained to him, he answered the question. He didn't, you know, he didn't like uh, fall on the sword and say, yeah, you're right. I'm a total train wreck as a head coach. He didn't do that. And he's allowed to, he's allowed to defend himself. He's allowed to defend the decisions that he's made, but he wasn't angry about the questions. He had a, I think he was a mix of disappointment. Uh, he was completely surprised by what he saw out of Miles Garrett. But Mike Pereira made a, a key point about Miles Garrett. Um, the NFL is not going to look at this in a vacuum. Here is the former NFL head of officiating talking about Miles Garrett and where he goes from here. This is a terrible situation, and I think that we certainly will be looking at suspensions. You know, I, I think the the swinging of the helmet is like crazy it's absolutely crazy it's actually in the rule book um, where it says that you cannot take a player's helmet off and use it as a as a weapon but to me Garrett is going to have a pretty lengthy suspension and not just because of what he did tonight I mean you got to go back and look at the season he's already been fined twice for hits on the quarterback and now you take this incident and so I'm not going to be surprised if we don't see something that could approach Four games. Um, I don't know how long, you know, that that uh, that they have gone before for an incident like this, but I think four games is probably going to be what they do. It could get reduced because certainly the player can af- appeal the fine, but I-, I just don't see it. And Pouncey, too, where his kicking and just swinging, I mean, I, again, this goes beyond pretty much everything, anything that I have seen. Yeah, uh, he's right there. So, uh We'll stand by. We'll see the range of when the NFL will decide. I've heard some people say, well, they won't decide until Monday or Tuesday. I Is this really that hard? Is, do, you, do you need an investigation? Here's how I think it'll shake out. Here's what I, If I'm the league office now, so the Browns handled the crisis management part of it in the moment very, very well. They don't have to handle it going forward, but I think right now, I'm honestly, <laughs> given my past experience with their franchise, uh, did not expect them to do that well. They did very well. I'd give them an A on that. Now it becomes an NFL crisis management issue. And I think it's a fail for the NFL if they let this go through the weekend so that Howie and Terry and, you know, the Fox guys and the guys on CBS and Football Night in America and all these shows can uh, speculate and everybody get them an opinion on. and blah, blah, blah. It's not necessary. It's cut and dried, man. You get it over with. This is this is crisis management 101 in the Hooli School. Make it a one-day story. Get all the bad stuff out. Because you know how this is. If you leave one detail unreported, then when that detail comes to light, on day one, that detail might be, oh, the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, twelfth most important thing. And it's buried way down in the story. If it comes to light on day three, four, five, and there's no other new details. Guess what? That detail jumps way up to the front. And it gets headlines it never would have gotten if you'd have disclosed it right away. How many how many people have botched this? Mark McGuire, Roger Clemens, Barry Bonds, on and on and on. I'm not going to give any college football examples because you get mad at me if I do. But I'm just, Maryland, there, I'll give you one. <laughs> Safe on that one. You get it out right away. Get it over with. So NFL, you're stupid if you let this go through the weekend and then decide next week. Because if you decide next week, let's say you have some phenomenal games Sunday. And then Monday afternoon, you decide, ah, Miles Garrett suspended four ga- or two games. And everybody's like, what? Not enough. Are you crazy? What are you, could have killed the guy with his helmet. Or rest of the season, yeah, the NFL got it right. Look at this Miles Garrett nut job. You know, it'll be piling on from everybody. All of a sudden, your Sunday games... Who's talking about the Sunday games? Nobody. Who's talking about the Monday night game? Nobody. I can't fathom the NFL won't have a ruling on this by Saturday. Friday afternoon news dump is made for this right here. Friday afternoon news dump. Get it out. Then you got college games over the weekend, and then you're back on the NFL, and they cover it in the Sunday morning thing. And while people are either 
asleep or in church, hopefully in church, and you move on to the games. I mean, they're crazy if they don't get this done. So that's uh, that's what I would add, uh, anticipate or that's what I would recommend from a crisis management standpoint for the NFL. Now, what do I think if I'm the NFL discipline czar? Would I hand out? Okay, big fine for Mason Rudolph. Big fine. Um, I don't know how much money, but you know, these guys, these, Mason Rudolph, uh, I mean, I wouldn't find him like he's a franchise quarterback because he doesn't have that kind of coin, but maybe a six-figure fine for Mason Rudolph because you know he did escalate it. Uh, but again, what Miles Garrett did wrong doesn't make what what Mason Rudolph did wrong right. But Miles Garrett, if you want to go to the whole Mason Rudolph kicked him in the groin, Mason Rudolph grabbed his helmet thing, Miles Garrett started this with taking Mason Rudolph to the ground unnecessarily. Unnecessarily. I can't believe he didn't get flagged for that, just for taking him to the ground. And that's what Mike Pereira was talking about with Miles Garrett taking people to the ground early. Now, nothing Miles Garrett did early in the season, I don't think, was as uh, nearly as uh, was as bad as taking Mason Rudolph the ground unnecessarily. It's eight seconds left in the game. You got him wrapped up. He flips the ball out to the side. You're up 14 points. What is the point? Yeah, I know. Play through the whistle. All right. Chris has said many times in this NFL, how many players pull off the quarterback because they know I can't hit the quarterback? Miles Garrett has got to understand that and Put it into practice. Okay, so he started that, but I'd give Mason Rudolph a fine. Mike Pouncey gets a game for kicking Miles Garrett in the helmet. Sorry, you cannot kick someone, Mike Pouncey. I do not blame you for coming to the defense of your quarterback. You can't punch, but when you punch, you're almost endangering yourself more than the person you're punching because he has a helmet on. So the kicking gets Mike Pouncey a game. I think Larry Ogunjobi of the Browns gets a game. Mason Rudolph standing there, and Larry Ogunjobi comes up and blasts him when Mason Rudolph doesn't have a helmet on, and Ogunjobi's got a helmet on, and there's no point in that. And so I think Larry Ogunjobi deserves and gets a game. And I think Miles Garrett sits for the rest of the rest of this season. And I don't know if they fine him because when you sit him for the rest of the season, that's the number I've seen is one point one four million on salary for Miles Garrett. And, and you know, this is also a penalty that has consequences going forward because now Miles Garrett is forever linked with Indomitian Sue and Albert Hainsworth and Vontez Perfect. He's in the conversation with NFL bad boys because there are some things in life you don't want to set the precedent on. And he set the precedent on this, on the helmet swing. So... That's where I stand on it. And I think if they give him four games, I think it's a joke. I think it's a joke for four games. I think it's got to be the rest of the season. That is just, there's some things you see and go, nope, nope, we're not putting up with that. We're not putting up with that. Okay, so that's my take on the Browns. Uh, This would be a good time for me to remind you that it is Friday. And that means that Stover Farms Custom Meats is open. Stover Farms Custom Meats. 4,000 Presidential Parkway in Powell. There's a traffic light right there. It's just north of the Target, which is on the west side of Sawmill Road. Uh, Stover Farms Custom Meats is on the east side of Sawmill Road at Presidential. It's really easy. You turn in there on the east side, go down and make a left into Stover Farms Custom Meats retail location. And what will you find? Well, you'll find the best steaks, hamburger, poultry, pork that you've ever had. That's easy for me to make that statement because I've had it. And it's phenomenal. And I also know the Stover family, and they're wonderful people. I love hardworking American success stories. I've been fortunate in my career to represent a bunch of boots-up, self-starting, classic American success story businesses. And Stover Farms, and I, I have a heart for farmers because I was raised on a farm. I know how much work goes into what they do. Um... And I just, the values, the values are my values. And Stover Farms is a really a neat operation. Um, Trev, I want to come up and see your operation, by the way. I've told you that ever since I got to know you. But I love, you know, good, close families, too. And now that my daughter's in soccer and doing well in soccer, and um, I can only imagine the joy that Trevor and Chelsea Stover have experienced watching their son, Cade, win Mr. Football in the state of Ohio. And he's a phenomenal athlete. He's a great basketball player, too. And now he's a Buckeye. 
And that's really cool because Trevor was on the Bowling Green team, was a linebacker on the Bowling Green team that came down here um, uh, under Gary Blackney in 1988 and gave Ohio State all it wanted. Um, or maybe it was 89. It was 89. So they're just a great family. And so they grow certified Angus beef, big old black Angus beef cattle. And they process one, a side of one every week and bring it down to their retail location in Powell. So you're going to get whew, phenomenal steaks. Um, hamburger is amazing. 15% off when you're a Spielman and Hooley listener. And they also have pork and poultry with no hormones, all non-GMO. Thanksgiving, they'll have turkeys. And, wow, you're going to knock it out of the park if you go with the Stover Farms Custom Meats. So support a great family, a great Buckeye family. And, uh, you know, the values that I think those who listen to this podcast hold dear in America. Um, Stover Farms Custom Meats, 15% off when you mention the Spielman and Hooley discount. Okay, uh, let's get to Ohio State to play Rutgers. It will be an absolute train uh, wreck for Rutgers. <laughs> Somebody uh, yesterday at uh, Ryan Day's Thursday availability, Tony Gerdman of the Ozone. <laughs> Tony Gerdman, I mean, look, when it's Rutgers week, folks, you're looking for something to ask Ryan Day. And we all like to get Ryan Day, like, you know, he comes in on Thursday and he's like, well, business. Like, I got to come in here. I got to do my 15 minutes. Get me out of here. I want to go watch tape. He's like, all oh, coaches, single-minded. And uh, uh, that's fine. That's his job. So we're all looking on Thursday, you know, it's kind of like, hey, you know, what can we, we got any injury updates or we got this or that or there. And if you can get him like, you know, light to lighten up, you get a little flavor of who he is and maybe we get a nice little nugget for a story or something. So Tony Gerdman of the Ozone, <laughs> congrats to him. He says to Ryan, hey, you know, the number one ranked Ohio State club football team is playing on Saturday. And <laughs> I guess they have a club team that's number one and they're playing, I think they're playing Coppin State playing Coppin State. And, you know, so he's like, do you have any advice for him? Tony asked Ryan if he's got any advice for him. And Ryan, finally, Ryan got it. Like, I was sitting there thinking, okay, Ryan, let's break out all your coaching cliches here. You know, tip of the spear and toughness and da -da 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 -da. games are won on Tuesday, not on Saturday. Because, you know, we've all seen Ryan talk enough now that we know what his go-to cliches are. And he, he finally did. He grasped it. He went into, like, the plan to win and this, that, and the other. So it's pretty funny, but I'm sitting there and, you know, snarky hooli. I so badly wanted to say, oh, so they got Coppin State and you got Rutgers. So they got a tougher game than you do. <laughs> Which, you know, relatively speaking, is true. Because Ryan Day's going in there with Justin Fields and uh, J.K. Dobbins and all the wide receivers and all the defensive linemen. So, yeah. The club team's got a tougher game than Ryan Day does. Tip of the spear, boys. Go get him. Uh, I don't know if Chase Young's the tip of the spear, but he's not playing this week. Uh, he will serve the second of his two-game suspension. And on Wednesday, prior to tip-off, Ohio State and Villanova, Gene Smith, the Ohio State Athletic Director, went through the whole Chase... Well, he didn't go through the whole Chase Young thing. They're determined not to go through the whole Chase Young thing. I think it's... Again, it's a violation of my crisis management beliefs, okay? That's just the way I'm going to say it. What did I just cover five minutes ago? Get it all out right away. Get it all out right away. Get it over with. Get it done. Get it finito, as, pa as Pat Schirmer would say. I don't understand why Ohio State thinks it's a good idea to not say who turned in Chase Young, to... They'll say who did not turn him in. They said Maryland did not turn him in and no other Big Ten school turned him in. So you can stop with your um, suspicions there. But I just don't understand what long-term purpose it serves to not say who turned him in. And if, he's re and if the person's really a family friend and not an agent, to say that. Uh, and to say the amount of the money. And it's not because I'm nosy Nate. It's just I think if you want everybody outside Columbus, because inside Columbus, you got you got the people inside Columbus. You don't have to worry about the Ohio State fan base. They're all with you. But outside isn't part of administering an athletic department and a university, if you're Michael Drake, doing the best damage control you can to your reputation nationally. So if it was a 400 buck loan from a high school guidance counselor or a family friend that goes back to Little League football with Chase Young, say that. Say that. It makes Chase Young look good. And you should, I think, sell Chase Young on that. Now, here's the downside. It may not be that. And what the NCAA and Ohio State view and what is in their 
hierarchy of rules and regulations, not a big deal. If it's perceived outside, you know, that circle of bureaucrats as a big deal, well, maybe that's why they're not disclosing it. I don't know. I mean, if it's a five grand loan, let's just say it's a lot of money that you, or an amount of money that everybody would say, whoa, that's what, what do you mean? Five grand to fly your daughter, your girlfriend of the Rose Bowl? Like, huh? Then that would explain why they're not saying it. Or if the person is someone who, yeah, he's certified as an agent, but he's not practicing and he's known Chase Young. So many people are like, eh, it's kind of fuzzy. So that's the suspicion you create when you don't say who it is and how much it is. And the justification that they're using is just bogus. Okay. And it's not, I'm not banging on Ohio State. Every school uses this note, this justification, and it's bogus. There's a federal law called uh, FERPA. FERPA, I get it confused with HIPAA. HIPAA is the health law that, you know, you can't find out, you know, what your daughter's doctor's says about her because she's got health and privacy rights, which is stupid, uh, when she's under your roof. Uh, I have not experienced that, but I've heard stories about it uh, in another relative to another issue that I'm passionate about. Uh, but FERPA is like a federal student privacy. Basically, I can't find out and you can't find out, nor should we find out what Chase Young's grades are, okay? It's academics is private. You know, none of your business, none of my business, nor would it ever would I ever want it to be any of my business. Uh, mind your business or you won't be minding mine, as Hank Williams Jr. once sang. <laughs> but to say that what a guy does or a girl athlete does in terms of NCAA violations is a part of their academic record, come on. It's not a part of their academic record. It's not. You and I both know it's nothing to do with academics, and they hide behind this, and they use it to just, and again, I think when you hide stuff, because here's the deal, here's the deal, folks, and you know this, let's say two weeks from now, right before the Michigan game, the amount of money on Chase Young loan comes out. The identity of the guy who loaned the money to Chase Young comes out. Where is that being reported? Is that like, you know, on page two in little tiny agate type like a correction is when a newspaper screws up? No, it's headlines all over the country. Hey, this guy loaned Chase Young. It's headlines all over the country. And do you need that distraction in the middle of Michigan week or in the middle of Penn State week or in the middle of a playoff week or anything? Nope, you don't. So that's why I'd get it all out there and get it over with and I'd impress upon. And by the way, you say, well, it's a federal law. Chase Young can say, no, go ahead and release it. Go ahead. I don't care. They can always elect to have it released. So that's what, you know, I think would... um, would be my recommendation to Ohio State and what I would counsel them on in that regard is get it all out now. Get it all out now and then it's over with and done with. Because look, if they if Gene Smith had come out Wednesday and said what that was, it would have been a headline Thursday and then what happened an hour and a half later? What happened an hour and a half later? Dwayne Washington Jr. started raining three-pointers on Jay Wright and the Villanova Wildcats' heads. That's what happened an hour and a half later. And C.J. Walker played by far his best game. I know he's only played three as a Buckeye, but, you know, honestly, through two games, were you like me going, eh, I was hoping for more from C.J. Walker? Yeah, I was. Then against Villanova, C.J. Walker's hitting a three, and he's getting to the basket, and he's creating for his teammates, and I'm like, oh, somebody knocked the rust off C.J. Walker. Yeah. DJ Carton's phenomenal, and Kyle Young, Kyle Young is, Kyle Young is just a workhorse, man. And Caleb Wesson, wow, Caleb Wesson, here's a sentence I'm going to speak that I never thought I would ever speak. Caleb Wesson played 34 minutes, blocked four shots, and did not commit a foul against a number 10 team in the nation who's won two national championships in the last four years. Not like he did it against Stetson or the East Westchester North Stars. He did it against Villanova. Long, tall, rangy, wiry Villanova. So the 30-some pounds Caleb Wesson has lost is no longer the statistic that screams at me. It's four blocks, no fouls against Villanova. 
And I love that Caleb Wesson's only scoring 10 points a game, not because I think that Ohio State can be a great team with Caleb Wesson scoring 10 points a game. I love that Caleb Wesson is only averaging is averaging only 10 points per game, and we've beaten Cincinnati and Villanova with him doing that because that means other guys are doing things offensively. And how many times last year did we have no one doing anything offensively except Caleb Wesson? A lot. A lot. Uh, Chris Holtman can coach, folks. And I know there's some Buckeye uh, reporters that I work with who are frustrated with his latest recruiting class. Not DJ Carton, not Alonzo Gaffney, EJ Liddell, and uh, and uh, Ibrahima. <clears throat> no, no, we love that class. These two guys that he signed the other day, kind of eh. But he's got a great class coming in next year. And, I, you know, look, I the one thing that I was jealous of, jealous, 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 jealous of, the last, well, decade-ish, Player development at Wisconsin and Michigan. And how many times, if you follow me on Twitter, have I openly lusted for former Buckeye John Sanderson, himself a Mansfield guy. He probably grew up on Stover Farms Custom Meat. Uh, I have lusted openly for John Sanderson, Camp Sanderson on Twitter, to come home, John Sanderson, and save our player development because he's at Michigan. And man, how many Karis Laverde and Mitch McGarry and uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. and how many Michigan guys like would go in there and you'd go, no big deal. And then by the time he's a junior, he's like a stud. That's John Sanderson. That's John Beeline, who by the way is doing nice work with the Cavs. So, yeah. Uh, I wanted player development, and it looks to me like Chris Holtman and his staff excel at player development. I see player development. I see growth in Dwayne Washington. I see growth in Luther Muhammad. Do we see growth in Caleb Wesson? Do we? (laughs) I think we do. So, you know, we're getting recruits, and you go, well, this guy's barely a top 100. Like, uh, this guy's not even a top 100. I don't discount what Holtman can do with this guy in two, three years. And you know what? The danger of having a bunch of guys who come in with the five stars and the four stars and want to play right away and think they're a year away from the league is if they're not a year away from the league and they got to sit on the bench, they're not sometimes as patient as you need them to be and they don't stick around. And we all know with the Thad class of uh, Mikey Mitchell and uh, who's the kid from Dayton Dunbar that went uh, out to New Mexico, A.J. Harris, um, Jaquan Lyle. Yes, I know. I'm sorry. I'm bringing up bringing up really bad names. I'm scarring you emotionally by bringing up these names. Those guys all booked it out of here because they weren't getting the playing time they wanted. We saw that with Jadon Ladee last year. He played Jadon Ladee. I thought Jadon Ladee played a fair amount of time, and now Jadon Ladee's at TCU, which is no big deal, but you don't want to lose guys. It, it puts you at risk when players in your program transfer out. So I don't really mind taking a three-star if he's got a reasonable idea of who he is and what he is and what he needs to become when he comes in here because he'll be patient. And, you know, I believe Holtman will get something out of him by the time he's a sophomore and a junior and a senior. And four-year players in a program, not a bad thing. Look at North Carolina. They won a national championship with a bunch of four-year guys. Even North Carolina needs four-year guys. So that's uh, encouraging on the Buckeye basketball side. Now they got four dog games coming up but don't be griping about the schedule okay they've already given you Cincinnati and Villanova how many years of and I love Thad I feel like an I feel like an AA member when I have to talk about Thad now relative to Holtman you know how an AA you get up and you go I'm Bruce and I you know and I'm an alcoholic and everybody goes hi Bruce well when I talk about Thad Mata I have to always start with when I'm going to say something about you know Thad's schedule I got to start with I love Thad it's kind of like saying I'm Bruce, and I'm an alcoholic. Now, as for Thad Mata's schedule, but I love Thad. Yes, I do love Thad. But the schedule, not great. Now, I'm not, I didn't bang on him because, look, what are you trying to do if you're Ohio State basketball? You're trying to get in the NCAA tournament every year. And, folks, you want a formula for getting in the NCAA tournament every year if you're Ohio State? This is like a, a chocolate milkshake formula. You cannot screw up a chocolate milkshake if you put... Chocolate milk and chocolate ice cream in a blender and hit on. Okay? It's just impossible to make a bad-tasting drink 
if you put chocolate milk and chocolate ice cream in a blender and hit on. Presto, chocolate milk, chocolate milk, you can dress it up with other stuff. You don't have to. It's still very good. Similarly, with Ohio State basketball, if you go 9-1 or 10-0 in the non-conference playing a bunch of Stetson, Northeast Louisiana Tech, and then you get in the Big Ten and go 500, guess what? You're in the NCAA tournament. So I understand Thad's philosophy, but I always wanted to see him play Xavier or Dayton or Cincinnati or Villanova or something. You know, and he'd play like one decent non-conference game a year. Now, you've already gotten two in the first three home games. So I don't want to hear gripes about Stetson and Kent State and Morgan State and the others that come in. Because, look, we're going to see Ohio State before they get into Big Ten play. They're going to play at North Carolina in the ACC Big Ten shootout. And then later on, they're going to play Kentucky. They're going to play Kentucky later on, although I think that one's in Indy. So, uh, like seeing them challenged, they're going to play West Virginia. So, don't be dogging Chris Holtman's schedule uh, because it's a good schedule. I think it's a pretty ambitious schedule for a young team. I'm not sure I'd play that schedule. But uh, as I've written for si.com backslash college backslash Ohio State, Chris Holtman has a dog, but he doesn't need to buy a dog because as Mark Jackson famously said, Numerous times on NBA basketball. If you're afraid, buy a dog. Chris Holman has a dog, but he didn't buy it because he's afraid when it comes to scheduling. So I love what I see out of the Ohio State basketball team so far this year. And you know I love, love, love me some Ohio State basketball. All right, let's get to uh, big college games of the weekend and then the Faith Corner, and then we'll get you on your way on your Friday. Michigan, Michigan State, I'm going to take the Wolverines, but, man, if they don't win this game convincing, I don't want to hear anything about throw the records out when they play Ohio State. I don't want to hear anything. If they don't dominate Michigan State and they don't go to Indiana next week and dominate Indiana without Michael Penix, which makes it easier to beat Indiana at Indiana, but it doesn't make it easier to play Ohio State because if you're Michigan and you're going to play Indiana the week before you play Ohio State, you'd better be better served in your prep to play a dual-threat guy who can make you pay for getting out of your rush lanes like Michael Penix as opposed to playing Peyton Ramsey. Because you're not going to have any... They're not going to be ready at all for Justin Fields after playing uh, Brian Lewerke and Peyton Ramsey. They're going to play two statues, and then they're going to have to try to catch uh, Justin Fields, who's like... Who's the dude with the Atlanta Braves put out there to run, you know, from outfield wall to outfield wall? <laughs> That's what it's like trying to catch Justin Fields. The Flash or whatever that guy's name is. Justin Fields, boy. Ohio State hit it out of the Ryan Day hit it out of the park with Justin Fields. I thought they were nuts going after Justin Fields because I knew Martell and Baldwin would be gone. And, well, you know, Fields, I saw him at Georgia, and he's not that great. What's the big deal over him? They knew what the big deal was over Justin Fields. So Michigan, you better win that game big at home against Sparty, having given up four touchdowns in the fourth quarter at home to Illinois. Sparty is barely breathing. They're on life support. And if you can't yank the hose out of, you know, Sparty's nose and put them out of their misery, Michigan, then that tells me you're not very special. Uh, Minnesota at Iowa. Woo, this will be a – this. you'll flip over to this game and you'll be like – Whoa, did somebody, like, toss me into the flux capacitor here? Am I back in, like, 1985? Because they'll just be wallowing around, pushing and shoving and <laughs> showing, battling for the bronze pig, Floyd of Rosedale, which some people say is the greatest trophy in uh, college football. I don't even think it's the greatest trophy Minnesota plays for. Uh, Minnesota plays for the Paul Bunyan Axe. Which I know the bronze pig is nice, but relative to the axe, which is ginormous, uh, I like the axe over the pig. And they also play for the little brown jug because, you know, they don't play for anything else at Minnesota. But the chesty little boatman, P.J. Fleck, has done a nice job. And uh, I had an NFL scout text me last night and say, uh, no, it wasn't an NFL scout. It was a buddy of mine in Cleveland say, hey, uh, what do you think about P.J. Fleck to the Browns? <laughs> well, that'd be, that'd be fun. I said, well, there's lots of place to row your boat in Cleveland. Yeah, lots of places on the lake and uh, and everywhere else. So, uh, so that's where we are with that. All right, so let's wrap up Faith Corner. I had the extreme privilege and pleasure on uh, Thursday morning of going to Dublin Jerome High School and sharing with a, uh, an FCA huddle. 
man, I love talking to young kids. And I love talking to young kids about what, uh, well, they're high school kids, uh, great young people, about what's most precious in my life, which, of course, is my relationship with Christ. And I spend the mornings um, studying my Bible, praying, and trying to open my mind to what God might be telling me that I can hopefully share with other people and hopefully help myself and them in their faith walk. So uh, one day I was thinking about, you know, I was praying for some friends of mine from church and the things that are going on in their life, and I was just struck by the fact that isn't it amazing, isn't it amazing that God cares about what's going on in our life? Because, you know, he doesn't need to care. (laughs) He doesn't need to. Like, he's God. Why does he care? I was pondering this. Why does he care? And I thought, well, well, he cares because he loves me. Obviously he loves me. He sent his son to die for me and cleanse me from all my rottenness and unworthiness. So I know he loves me. But then I thought, well, it's amazing he loves me because if, if, if everybody in my life knew every single thought that I had, every single terrible thing I've done in my past, and I don't have any like Ray Lewis stuff in my past, but I'm just saying like, like our attitudes, right? We're not, we're not good people. We're not nice people. Sometimes you get cut off in traffic, hit your finger with a hammer. You know, you know, your, your nature is not great. It's not great. So I was thinking, he loves me. He knows all that. He's the only one that knows that. My mom doesn't know it. My dad doesn't know it. My wife doesn't know it. My kids don't know it. Thank goodness. Even Spiels doesn't know it. And we're pretty transparent before each other. So um, I was like, that's amazing. How does he love me knowing that? And I thought, well, pretty simple. Pretty simple. God doesn't love like we love. God's love is not a reaction. It's not an action. It's not even a decision. It's his essence. I'm sure you've probably heard God is love. Plot that out as a math equation, okay? God on one side, then an equal sign, and then love on the other side. So he is, everything about him, everything about his essence, everything that emanates from him, everything about his nature is love. That's how he's capable of loving rotten Bruce Hooley. That's how. It's the only way he could be capable is because he is love. So I was like, wow, let me put that in like some kind of terms that I could relate to people. Give me a big entity out there that we can all identify with that expresses love toward us and yet it has human limits on it. And what if this entity loved it like God loved? How would they love us differently? So here's my entity that I compare in this illustration to God. What if McDonald's McDonald's restaurants, the Golden Arches, Ronald McDonald. What if, what if McDonald's loved us like God loves us? Now, McDonald's loves us. That's not, that's not mince words here. McDonald's loves us because why? Because they, they want our money, right? They want our business. And McDonald's is everywhere. God's everywhere. McDonald's is always striving to get more relationship with us, right? Like God. McDonald's, does McDonald's need to advertise? You say, well, stay in business, they do. Not really, not really. Everybody knows McDonald's. They could survive on word of mouth now. I, you know, I grew up on McDonald's. So when we had kids, what do you go to, mom and dad, when a kid won't eat anything? McDonald's, what do your babies want when they go start eating solid food? You're going by the Golden Arches. French fries, French fries, right? McDonald's French fries, it's like a part of life, okay? So Happy Meal, So McDonald's could survive without advertising. Now they do advertise because they want to stay, you know, top of mind with us like God. McDonald's is always trying new things. McRib, this, that, and the other sandwich, you know, specials on Apple turnovers and uh, what's the shamrock shakes, right? So they're always tweaking, trying to reach us. So I think you can say McDonald's loves you. They want you. They want to f- f- uh, firm up and build a relationship with you like God does. But McDonald's has a limit on how much they love you. And the limit is they're not going to show up where you are when you're hungry and give you their best for free. They're not. You say, well, they'd they go out of business if they did that. Well, yeah, probably all over the world. But what about, like, maybe just in central Ohio? Could the McDonald's Corporation 
uh, show up at Dublin Jerome High School, 7.15-ish in the morning, and as the kids are coming in, hand all of them an Egg McMuffin in case they hadn't tasted an Egg McMuffin before or the... You know, the sandwich with the little uh, the maple-laced pancakes on the outside? Oh, that's a really good sandwich. Um, they could afford to do that. Their worldwide profits would sustain that, and they could do that. And they could show the people in Central Ohio, we're giving you our best for free. McDonald's not going to do that. McDonald's not going to do that. Why are they not going to do that worldwide? Because McDonald's, just like on Shark Tank, what's the question they ask on Shark Tank all the time? What's your customer acquisition cost? What's your customer acquisition cost? Mr. Wonderful asks that all the time. What's your customer acquisition cost? And it's what a business has to spend in Facebook advertising or TV advertising or radio advertising or direct mailing or whatever to get more customers. And a really good business and a really good pitch on Shark Tank will know exactly what their customer acquisition cost is. And then you balance it out. Like, it costs me... $3.50 to get a new customer. And then over time, that customer spends blah, 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 blah. And if they spend more than you are to acquire them, well, then you it's worth it. It's worth it. So customer acquisition cost is important to McDonald's. That's why they don't give you their best for free. Because if they don't, if they, if they're giving you, you know, Big Macs and filet of fish and fries and shakes and all that, their customer acquisition costs like 10, 20 bucks. And well, you may, they, they don't know you're going to go and spend that at their restaurant. So that's why they don't do it, because the customer acquisition cost is not worth it. Do you know who's paid the highest customer acquisition cost of any entity ever? Yeah, God has. God paid the highest customer acquisition cost ever, because to acquire you as a believer, he sent his son Jesus to die for you on the cross, to die for you, gave his life to acquire you as a loyal customer. Whatever you've done in your life, you can be forgiven for it. But some people are uncomfortable with the idea that <clears throat> a mass murderer could go to prison and could accept Jesus Christ as their Savior and be forgiven and get eternal life. Some people are very uncomfortable with that. Matt Walsh, a blogger that I listened to and a guy on the Daily Wire who I snarked on Twitter this morning about his uh, Browns rant. Uh, but I like Matt Walsh uh, 75% of the time. Matt Walsh said one time, I'm not comfortable with a heaven where there might be murderers and rapists. Well, Matt, you better get comfortable with it because that's what heaven is. That's what heaven includes, I should say. It's not all that because my mom and dad are there, and they're not that. But he said, I'm not comfortable with a, with a heaven full of sinners. And I said, well, um, I'm very comfortable with it because I'm one, and that's where I'm going to be because my eternal life is settled because I claim Jesus' perfection as my own. I don't claim my own as my own because I'm not perfect. Not close. But I claim Jesus' perfection as my own. In the same way that when I show up at Ohio State to cover the Villanova game, if I showed up at the door and I said to the credential person, hey, I'm Bruce Hooley. Uh, you and I don't know each other, but trust me, I have covered Ohio State for a long time. I've been to Super Bowls, Rose Bowls, National Championship games. Let me tell you about what it was like to cover the Buckeyes against the Hurricanes at the Fiesta Bowl. Let me give you all my credentials. Let me give you all my credentials of what I've done. And the person would look at me and they would say, do you have your credential from Ohio State where they're vouching for your credibility? Do you have that thing that hangs around your neck that you know is officially approved by Ohio State who's really in charge here of who gets in the building and who doesn't? And if I said, no, I don't have that credential, they wouldn't let me in. No matter how many great stories I've written, no matter how many insightful takes or stupid takes I've given on the radio or on a podcast, they're not going to let me in because I don't have the right credential. If you're counting on what you've done on earth, being a good person or giving to charity or whatever, going to church, praying, be going to church every Sunday, if you're counting on that to get into heaven, you're not getting in. You're not getting in. Jesus Christ 
claiming his sacrifice on the cross as your perfection is the only way you are getting in. Um, you may not like that, but that is the truth. And I would be remiss if I did a podcast where uh, Chris and I are determined to share the truth. If I told you anything other than that, I wouldn't be loving you, right? Sometimes things we say may not appear loving or things we do may not appear loving, but they are loving. If you were standing on a street corner in Chicago and you were going to step in front of a bus, I'd grab you by the collar and I'd pull you away from the bus to save your life. Now, I might mess up your neck doing that. You might look at me. If you didn't see the bus coming, you might look at me and you go, what are you doing? What are you doing? That hurt. I'd say, well, there was a bus that was going to hit you and kill you. You didn't have to see the bus coming for it to be there and for it to hit you and kill you. But you would hopefully be glad that I spared you from the bus. If you haven't accepted Jesus as your Savior, I'm telling you there's a bus coming. And it's going to hit you and it's going to run you over. Satan's going to love it because deception is his game. If you have questions, if I can further be of service in helping you understand it, SpielmanHooleyPodcast at gmail.com. SpielmanHooleyPodcast at gmail.com. That's the podcast for today. Chris will be back on Monday. Assuming Southwest doesn't delay him for five hours. We'll talk to you then. You are the one we adore.